Welcome to the Hi guys. Nice to be here. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so glad to have you back. Yeah, wonderful yeah. to be here. <clears throat> And we're going to be talking about a movie. It's a, it's movie time. We're going to have a little cinema fun uh, in quotes because this is a we're doing a revenge film. The film is called Promising Young Woman from 2020. And I just have to read this quote about the description of the film. It, it was called by the New York Times, a black comedy told in pastels. So oh, I thought that was a pretty good, a really good description. So yeah. anyhow. Black comedy, yeah. Told in pastels. Yeah, yeah I we all three of us just rewatched it so that we, it could be fresh in our minds for this podcast. And I was noticing how the color palette of the movie is very pastel. Um, everything surrounding Cassie, the main character, she's always dressed in, you know, uh, light, soft, feminine colors. And, and uh, when she's sitting, you know, surrounded by things, they're all very, very soft and pastel. So, well, let's, yeah. let's come back to that. Because I, what I noticed is after the, after the boyfriend thing finally took, uh, mm -hmm. it was all pink. Yeah. They put her in pink. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, the house, too. Her, her parents' house is just this That's kind of true. really, I don't know, 50s or what would you call it? Yeah. Uh, Hyper-feminized style. And it's just a... With it's, dog pictures on every wall. Paintings of dogs on every wall. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere. Huh? Well, let's, and pink everywhere. Yeah. Pink everywhere. Yeah. I guess let's jump in. I'll, do, I'll give the log line and then you, you two just go for it because uh, I really am interested to hear um, your take on it. So, um, so the log line is the, a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who cross her path. All the uh, script coverage people will be really proud of that log line that I got from somebody who wrote it for the studio. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, so jump right in. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this probably doesn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway. There are massive spoilers for the film in this podcast. So yes, if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, uh -huh. go watch Turn the movie off. and come back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I felt that too, because there's no way to analyze the film without spoiling it yeah exactly yeah yeah <clears throat> and i i found one review last night that uh said 
the, the headline is Promising Young Woman, a Deathly Dark Satire of Gender Politics. And I thought that was pretty on the mark. Interesting. Deathly Dark Satire. Now, I'm, I'm interested that they use the word satire. Because, because because to me it wasn't a, a satire; it was a drama. I mean, they weren't satirizing gender politics; they were nailing them. Oh, I thought they were satirizing as well. Really? How you so? know from the beginning? I mean, I had forgotten until I watched it again last night. I had forgotten the very beginning. Do you remember all the men's crotches in the yes. dancing bar? Yeah. And they're all talking smack and they're very sexist. And it was like a caricature yeah. of the way men can be when they're together, you know, and commenting on women. Um, and I thought they did that over and over again. Mm. And so, Yeah, and the, the constant repeat. And she, you know, she... Actually, the character of Cassie actually says this at the, towards the end of the film. But, you know, the constant like, hey, we were kids. It's not my fault. Right. It's not my fault. That it's came not up my fault. Yep. All the time. All yep. the time. Yeah. Yeah. We're really looking mainly at the. Uh, um, oh, God, I've blanked the word. Uh, entitled. Sorry. Yes. The yeah. Entitled white man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there it is, you know, it might as well be uh, Kavanaugh. Yes. It was like yeah. we were watching the Kavanaugh <laughs> and maybe they some of it from that, you know. I mean, uh, not they, but she, uh, the wonderful writer who won the Academy Award for the script. There it you was go. So smart. Yes, yes, very smart. Dark I- satire. I think it was t- uh, smart in that way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it seems like I, I, I'm sort of between the two of you in terms of what to call it, because it, it's a comedy. I guess I didn't feel it was as satirical, but I get what you're saying. It's the it's that dark comedy of it, which is the very basis of it. And then, yeah, it does, I guess, really satirize the kind of entitlement and notions. It was right at the right time in culture, too, because so many of the hearings had come up and a lot of things <clears throat> were coming back to the fore. So. I, I found it a really sometimes those kinds of black comedies are for me a little hard to digest. I, I lose the comedy element and, yeah. and just more on the they're kind supposed of to the be hard to digest. Yeah, yes, exactly. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's not so, supposed to go down smoothly. <laughs> no, and this this absolutely does not. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah yeah. I mean i I don't know. I guess I have a bit of a pushback against against all this characterization of it as a comedy, because I, I wonder, I hope that doesn't trivialize the message of the movie and the, you know, the things that they're saying uh, yeah. in the movie. But I suppose at the same time, you know, a spoonful of sugar mm-hmm. makes the medicine go down, right? If they, <laughs> if they said it was a hard hitting drama, um, you know, perhaps, uh, perhaps people might not want to watch it. So. Well, I think we get possible. so yeah. much from comedy. I think we get, particularly now, a lot more now we get from comedy. I, I'm listening to a lot of comedians now, and I think people are able to convey messages more because it's been traditional throughout human culture, right? We don't take the jester seriously. So the jester can convey messages that maybe if they were conveyed by someone else, we wouldn't hear or we wouldn't be able to 
allow them to be transmitted. So, so in that sense, I think I'm not so much worried that if it's a comedy, it will be lost. It might actually, like you say, with a spoonful of sugar, get more people to listen and go, oh, I get it. You know, or I see where they're going with this or because it really is, like you say, it's hard to digest. It's there are some really tough um, scenes or sequences or concepts that are in here. Um, but it's still a good, a well, perfectly nicely crafted movie. Oh, it's beautiful. Let's, uh, let's, let's, I don't know if there are people listening who haven't seen it or who need to know what the general story is that we're talking about before we talk about it anymore. Sure. Somebody, uh, do you, Dawn, do you want to? Yeah, sure. So, um, a young woman who, uh, has dropped out of med school despite the fact that she was a promising young woman, that she was, you know, really smart and wanted to be a doctor her whole life, and has is basically um, she's basically walking around in a fog, uh, yes. a, P, a PTSD depressed fog. Um, you know, she's not who she used to be, and we see that with the way that her parents deal with her. Um, you know, with kid gloves that they they. They can see that that she has, you know, somehow something horrible is going mm-hmm. wrong, but they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to address it even. Um, so what she is doing to work out her um, her anger at the loss of her friend, who, um, you know, I I assume she committed suicide, but I can't remember. Yes. Yeah, I can't remember if they actually spell that out in the film now? I don't um, think it's spelled out, but it's obvious. Yeah, right? it's pretty clear that she committed suicide yeah. because she was um, she was drugged and gang-raped at a medical school party. Um, and uh, it was uh, filmed and it became, you know, like the joke of their class. Uh, that, you know, she was so drunk that she uh, just lay there and took it. Um, And Nina was uh, Cassie's best friend growing up, her sort of idol. Um, You know, she was the one who, uh, she just thought Nina was just this incredible force of nature. And um, she dropped out of medical school because after the rape, um, Cassie, uh, uh, Nina just fell apart, fell apart, and then eventually uh, clearly killed herself. And so at she, some point we learned that Nina was top of her, her class. Yes, exactly. That she was the promising young woman of the yeah. title. Um, so uh, Cassie is working out her anger at the fact that, you know, the, the powers that be, the rape was reported and the school basically said, well, we can't and, you know, there's an amazing scene with the dean of the school that, you know, we can't destroy these, these you know, bright young men's careers because some woman got too drunk at a party and decided after the fact that, you know, she didn't like what happened. So, um, so there is no official recourse um, to get justice for Nina. So she goes unofficial and she pretends to be blackout drunk in bars and waits for predator predatory men to come over any man i mean that's the thing that's part of the the feminist commentary here is that these 
men seem like men you might meet in a bar. Absolutely. And funny and charming and attractive. And And just trying to help her out. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to take care of her and make sure she gets home. Okay. Quote unquote, you know, it's, it's interesting that they, they keep saying, you know, but I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. And as she says, you know, you'd be surprised. It's generally the nice guys. Um, (laughs) So what she does is she goes to, you know, a different bar every night, dressed up, um, dressed to kill. And, uh, and she pretends to be falling down drunk and waits for the guy to some predatory guy to come up to her to offer to help her out and instead of course take her home and try to uh have sex with her while she is unable to stop him and from practically doing so. unconscious yeah practically unconscious and she you know she sets it up the character sets it up so beautifully she keeps saying no uh-huh. But she's so drunk that, you know, it has no force. They just, they just, they just steamroll right over it. Exactly. Yeah. And then at the point where they've actually committed themselves, and it's 100% clear that they are intending to rape her, she immediately, you know, she switches over to, to exactly how sober she is. And um, she makes them face themselves and what they were about to do by saying, you know, I was drunk and I was, I was falling down drunk and, and yet, you know, you just kept going, didn't you? It freaks them out. They go crazy. They lose their shit. It's so interesting. It's so well done. Yeah. Yeah. the, The confrontation. Yeah. They call her crazy. They call her a psycho bitch. Yeah. They try to turn it all back on her. Yeah, I'm absolutely. a nice guy. Yeah. 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 They turn every single step of the way, uh, building from these small events that are basically nonviolent in yeah. any way, building and building to the to the final scene that maybe we won't talk about until we get there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and each one turns on her as soon as he's awake to his shame he turns on her they all do it it's it it, one of the questions i felt the movie is asking is how much uh how much shame or guilt or sorrow uh so many men carry uh because of their unearned privilege uh, you know, at least that's my one of my takeaways from it. Can you explain that a little more? Well, you know, privilege is a funny thing. It, it maybe sometimes we are privileged in certain areas of our lives because we've earned it in some way, you know. But most of the time, privilege is uh, something unearned. It's something born into. It's you know, we say white privilege. We understand that no matter how. Uh, intelligent or liberated any of us is, if we're white, we have white privilege. Yes. And, and that's how it is for men in patriarchal culture. All men, d- down to the lowest uh, on the ladder, all men have male privilege. 
and are able to make uh, lewd comments to women, for example, on the street, or you know, it just it doesn't matter your your class background, your economic background, your the job you have, the status you hold in the culture. What male privilege is a given. Mm-hmm. And so I think underneath any kind of privilege like that is some sort of guilt or shame or sorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, we. Uh, so that's just. I mean, that's my opinion. And I, I, I think that the point that the movie is making is that rather than face that and make yeah. amends for it, sort of like. Um, uh, the character of the lawyer, Alfred Molina's character that she goes to see. I had completely forgotten this scene. So uh-huh. I'm glad uh-huh. I rewatched I rewatched the movie. He is the one character that when she faces, you know, when she confronts him with what he has done, he is the one character that says, I I des you know, I knew it was coming. I knew my comeuppance would come. Yes. I deserve it. I can't you know, sleep. I, I can't. Sleep I don't sleep at night. And you know what he eventually, what he finally does, is get down on his knees and beg her forgiveness. Um, and with, she forgives him. She forgives him. She, it was not her intention going. No, in no. And yeah, when she comes out, you see that she had planned. Um, she had had someone waiting in the wings uh, if the uh, encounter had gone at all differently. So, um, so he is the one character that actually faces that privilege. And And now maybe this is a a little piece of what we're calling comedy. He then immediately falls asleep with his head on her lap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He says he can't sleep. He hasn't slept for years. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. a funny. And yeah, that's all he needed to let go of all the guilt of all of the lives that he has destroyed. And, yeah. you know, bam. Okay. So one woman forgives him and he's, that's it. He's done. <laughs> so one thing that they did in the structure of the movie is that she sets out to do certain actions this is in addition to the uh, going out at night and uh, luring men into her little trap. Uh, the The actions she sets out to do are numbered with Roman numerals on the screen. Number one, you know, Madison. And uh, Madison was her old friend. Like, well, a, a- uh, the third school friend. chum, yeah, a school chum. The, the third friend uh, in the trio of of uh, Cassie and um, Nina, Nina, uh, and Madison, and so, but Madison was one of the ones who refused to see what had happened, and who stayed with the, you know, so often what happens with male identified women or women who are afraid to step out of place in the culture is that they deny uh, what men are doing. And in that way, they collude. Yeah. They they throw other women under the bus in order to keep themselves safe. And he did that. And so, so Roman numeral one is her first action taken very deliberately and very intelligently Mm. Sort of uh, trapping the person in their own uh, 
denial. Yeah, and she sets she sets up a situation where the person is going to experience exactly what they refused to acknowledge that Nina experienced. Yes, exactly. And what they always have denied to her face. So, right. yeah, that was powerful, very powerful. And uh, and then the second Roman numeral action was Dean Walker, the dean of the school, the medical school, and uh, the one who who she seems to have forgotten, but she's the one that Nina went to right. to make her complaint. And uh, so she's confronted very directly by Cassie. And uh, denies it all until Cassie does a trick on her, right. you know. And, until uh, it becomes personal when, yeah. you know, where her actual, again, you know, she's put in the position that she refused to accept actually happened. And, you know, the way that that happens is that uh, Cassie basically uh, tricks her high school daughter into thinking that there's, you know, her, her, the band that she's crazy about is going to be at a diner. Um, and so she takes her to that diner where she's sitting and waiting. But what she does is tell the Dean that she picked up her daughter and brought her to the exact same room where, um, where Nina was brutalized. Where some great young guys are really mm-hmm. excited to meet her. To meet her, and they're all drinking, and you know they're they're partying. It's going to be great. They're going to have a great time, <laughs> and I'm sure that your daughter will be fine because they're such bright young men. Yeah. So, um, but each of, course, of her, each of her setups was really powerful in that yes. way. Yeah, um, it was surgical. None of this is uh, spontaneous or irrational. Yes. At yeah. no point is she irrational. You know, one of the things I object to uh, in general in the reviews and the general kind of description of the movie is that they keep calling her a sociopath. And some of the reviews describe her that way um, because she's icy cold in her uh, execution of these different actions, but she's not a sociopath. We see her coming unhinged. You know, we see her uh, her emotions each time. Uh, you know, after the uh, after the Dean Walker incident, she she stops the car. She's just stopped on a road. Yes, and, and a guy in a car pulls up next to her and yells obscenities at her. And why is she so? crazy and you know to be in the middle of the road and she gets out of the car and picks up her tire iron and takes it over and basically breaks his windows and his lights and takes out yeah she takes out his tail lights and and shatters his windshield and And he calls her names and does that thing that men do you know he just goes berserk and and uh turns it all on her and and at that point after that she's quite undone um, yeah. And and there are several times in the movie it, it, as it develops and as her character comes more and more into character, she is uh, really uh, not a sociopath. Yeah, you see the toll that it is taking on her. Right. She's yeah. devastated. She's devastated over and over again uh, from the original devastating events. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and you, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, well, I have a whole thing I want to talk about. Okay. About, well, about it not really being a revenge movie, but yes. Um, so let me let me just f- sort of finish on the point that you were talking about is that, and we see her, you know, after she visits Nina's mother, uh-huh. and Nina's mother says to her, "You've got to stop. Yeah, you've got to let it go." She yeah. does. She makes the decision. She throws away her book. (laughs) Yep, she throws away her book. She lets it all go. Uh And she turns towards having a life again. You know, she she throws herself into the relationship and she decides to be vulnerable to she decides to be vulnerable. Yes. And then they're in pink. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) And there's a you know. Yeah, but of course, because it's a man's world. And uh, because this is the way, you know, things go. uh, The moment when, you know, now that she's given it all up, and she's decided to be vulnerable, of course, the last piece of information falls into place. And even the the one guy that seemed like a nice guy that seemed like a good guy, turns out to have been a bystander in the uh, in the incident in Nina's Nina's rape, and did nothing, did nothing about it. You know, awkwardly laughed, but nonetheless laughed yeah. um, at yeah. what was happening to Nina. And that I think is the final devastation for her is that tape and hearing. You know, she's just fallen in love, and now she can't have that. And I think it's so obvious how, just how terribly these things, these things ruin women's lives. And nobody wants to admit that, you know, it's always, even, even now in 2022, it's still dealt with as if it's not that serious. And and what if it's about? Yeah, as if it's a fact of a woman's life, because this is patriarchal culture. When a woman is brutalized or, you know, even molested, not, oh God, you know, the degrees of which a woman will be brutalized, even if it's just, and I put that in quotes, um, you know, being molested on the street or being catcalled or whatever, all of these little, these little cuts, death by a thousand cuts, all of these little assertions of Micro, male microaggressions. microaggressions, assertions of male dominance, yep. they they get inside women's lives and they they hurt. And so they then hurt. Her, her Roman numeral number three mm-hmm. action is when she takes the tape to yeah. the hospital yeah. and and gets him in his office and and has him start watching it without knowing what he's watching. Right, right. And then he acts just like they all act, you know. He acts, he he turns on her mm-hmm. in his shame. He's exposed, He's his. it's clear that he uh, participated uh, and didn't do anything about it, didn't take an action in the other direction. It's It's so sad. Yeah. It's yeah. so incredibly sad. And so at that point, I think she's she's just really, then she's going to go into action on her fourth action, which is to go to the bachelor party. 
Yeah, at that point, she is, you know, her blade. Her, she's like a sharpened knife. At that point, all yeah. of the, all of the brutality around her, has sharpened her to a, a cutting edge. And it's interesting because looking back on it, I had forgotten exactly what her intention was when she goes to the bachelor party and she gets Al you know, in a quote unquote compromising position. And Uh she's, again, she's brilliant in how she sets this up. She understands, she really has a a solid understanding about the way that these men are going to behave in the group, you know, in the like pack dynamics of them. And how they're going to treat her, thinking that she's a prostitute. Exactly. Thinking that she's a stripper and how she'll have a certain amount of ability to make them do things because of the situation that they're in, because they know she's harmless. Because Because they know she's at at dominance and submission. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So she gets Al in this compromising position. And for some reason, I had thought... In my mind, I had gone back and um, rewritten the movie and said that she was intending to castrate him. Oh, no. But no, it's not. It's not. It's barely. She just intends to cut Nina's name on his skin. Yeah. It's, It's not even close to what Nina went through. No. Not even close. So the big spoiler, everybody. Right. You haven't seen the movie <clears throat> is is the big shocker. The first time you see the movie, this is so shocking because nobody ever does it this way. Yeah. <clears throat> she she actually uh, it becomes overpowered by him. He any, anyway, I won't say all the details, but uh, he he he, he murders. murders her. He and when that happens, you can't believe it. Yeah, I can't. The whole time, it must have taken five minutes, and I was just like, "No, no, no, they're not going to do this. No, right. she's going to get away. She's going to, she's going to, you know, at the last yeah. minute, she's going to go <gasps> and come back to life." Yeah, nope, it doesn't happen. It doesn't and happen. then in the morning, when his friend comes and 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 finally realizes what has actually happened, he he does that thing that yep. we call male bonding. You know. Al, this is not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. This was an accident, right? Oh, yeah, okay. You you didn't do anything wrong. This is not your fault. Total reframe, total cover-up, you know? And so for me, the question that the movie asks on a very deep level has to do with a kind of moral bankruptcy mm. that we're watching, you know, the 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 what I'm calling that kind of uh, empty space for anybody with privilege, it's a you're you're propped up in a false way, and there's a there's an emptiness underneath it, a bankruptcy, and in, and what happens for men in groups is uh, is morally bankrupt, you know, men who wouldn't behave like that individually will behave a certain way in groups. They've mm-hmm. done studies, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the, the, all those movies. The <laughs> I can't think of them, the boy movies, you know. But anyway, I felt like the, the deep question, the deep feminist question that the movie was asking 
was right there. Like, okay, uh, is, is this, is, what does this have to do with men? What does it have to do with patriarchy? What does it have to do with masculinity? You know, I always feel like it's so terribly important that we unbraid masculinity, mm. patriarchy, because in patriarchy, <laughs> in patriarchy, uh, you know, men are uh, naturally identified. They identify themselves with it. They are identified with it. As soon as a feminist says men are, behave in morally bankrupt ways, then that means instead of that being a question we can discuss in the culture, it becomes that, uh, oh, I'm a man hater. But I, I don't hate men. I, maybe I hate men as a group. I don't know. But I, I love numerous men in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's true of all the women I know. I, don't, I, don't, I think that's just a, a turning of the material back onto the messenger. And in this case, it was really hard to do because they pressed on. And, uh, and it turns out, you know, that, he, that there's this wedding and, the, and her boyfriend is at the wedding, mm-hmm. but she's missing by this time. And the cops have come looking for her and her parents don't know where she is because... Shall we do more spoilers? Shall I say? Oh, of what? course, of course, okay. yeah. So, so they take her body. These two guys that are going to protect each other take her body and burn it in a like a down by the river. Yeah, and, they try to um, cover up the crime. Exactly, because... which would, which would normally they would have gotten away with. Yes, and and at the time that they're burning her body. They're playing the soundtrack in this movie is so profound. They're playing the the ultra romantic, sacrificial romantic song from the original version of West Side Story when Anita sings with uh, uh, Maria. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, that won't matter. But it was. But it's just that's the that's the way that irony is used and and what makes it satire i think and what makes it also just slightly comedic but in a very very dark way the soundtrack does that all the way through yeah 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 the the music that they play is incredible yeah um so then we're at the wedding yeah yeah, yeah. just i'm just gonna inject yeah. quick uh the interest, you know, the 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 amazing thing that is just absolutely taken for granted by this group of bachelor party dudes is that her life doesn't matter. Yes, only yeah. his life matters, right? Her death is going to ruin his wedding, and these are this is the the scale of balance is that his wedding and everything going right with his life is unquestionably more valuable than her life as a human being, right? She was a stripper. She was a woman. She, she did it. Somehow it was her fault and they can erase her existence. Yeah. You know, burn her body and erase her existence all in the service of making sure that this young man, that no consequences touch this young man who's about to get married. 
So we're at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And even, even at the wedding, there's tremendous sexist uh, banter going on because right. the bride is, uh, what did they say? A bikini, a bikini model. model. Yes. And yeah. ha, 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 you know. Uh, and so she herself is treated like a like a bimbo, like she's not really there. And uh, and then comes the text, the last text to the boyfriend, to the doctor boyfriend, and it's from Cassie. And we and he knows by then, I think that she's dead. Um, and. The, and the text is something like, I didn't write it down, but it's like, you didn't think that, the, you didn't think that would be the end, did you? Mm-hmm. And then she, uh, she signs off, uh, love, Cass- Cassie and Nina, yep. with a happy face. A little, a little winky, winky emoji. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And sort the of- music playing in the background at that point as the police arrive and they're hauling off the groom and the the friend that helped bury i mean helped burn the body he's running away and you know it's just chaos and and uh and angel of, of the, the morning, morning. Yep. i mean really it was just it was so the music was ironic it was and and i think that's what we mean by comedy um and then you know at the very very end when they're running the credits the song playing is I'ma have the last laugh. Ha ha. ha. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I thought it was dramatically, radically feminist. Yes. Um, and absolutely. I don't mean in the sense of just a revenge movie. I there have been some good revenge movies. I remember Jodie Foster doing one. Yeah. Uh, uh, can't think of the name right the now. The brave one. Thank you, the brave one. I remembered it made me flash back to the 70s and uh, um, lipstick. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember lipstick, but it was also, it was a revenge movie, a rape revenge movie. So there is a genre, there is a category, and this movie fits into it, of course. But I started to think, I started to kind of rack my brain after watching the movie last night. I thought, okay, I don't really see it as revenge, what she did. I see it as something else. So what are the other words we might use to describe her very rational process? And I came up with accountability, recompense. Ooh, nice. uh, Reparations, restitution. Uh, I don't know if this is so much, but counterbalance. Uh, making amends, even maybe atonement. I'm not quite sure. But most of all, of all the words I had in my mind, the one that stuck with me was justice. Justice. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. Justice. Bringing bringing things into balance. Yeah. Because. Right. Because Nina never got justice. No. And what she experienced was unjust. Totally. Personally, uh, collectively, mm-hmm. in every way, yeah, as a gender. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and so really it was a turning things right. There was something, it was a karmic twist of some kind. And, and she went through with it and she knew she might die. Mm-hmm. And she did. 
you know, yeah, but and prepared for that. And we was yeah, we see at the end the lawyer receiving a packet, uh, the lawyer that begged her forgiveness. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. He she sends him the phone with the videotape on it and basically saying, you know, in case I disappear, in case I die, here's all the evidence I have collected. And, yep. you know, this is why basically this is who murdered me. Um and so the same lawyer that uh, acquitted all those men and got rid of the women who were accusing them, mm-hmm. uh, he said it was happening all the time. It was they got paid off for it. Uh, well, that was that was the strategy that his entire firm used. They had specific people in you know on staff whose entire job was to smear to you know create a smear campaign yeah. of, against the women who were raped yeah. and that they knew that you know all it took was one drunk photo on your social media and the jury immediately turned yep yep turned against and the so woman that guy who was so he was so remorseful and so uh unable to go on with his life um was actually given the task, a very welcome one, I think. Uh, uh, It was his way of being able to make amends. He was given the task of of turning the evidence into the police. Of of justice. He was given, yeah, he was given the task of seeing that justice was done. Yeah. So I think it's a pretty transcendent film in a way, you know, even though it has all those, although it has so many layers. Yeah probably belongs to several genres. <laughs> yeah. But you know the there was a point where she was out with one of the guys that was going to take her home and uh and then she uh because her her doctor boyfriend came by and saw them it kind of busted the thing up and she she so she gets obviously really sober all of a sudden, right. and the guy with her is really upset and really mad at her and really turns it on her like they always do. And he says to her, "Why do you guys have to ruin everything?" Yes. And oh my he, God. Yeah. <laughs> and there was that theme running through it uh, quite often that was repeated two or three times that uh, that you know these women were they're just ruining our fun. They're just ruining everything. Yes. All that good clean fun. Yeah. Yeah. Of destroying women's lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sort of reminded in, in this, it's sort of as you guys uh, go through this, I'm thinking a lot about when you, you talk about that one photo that turns the jury. And there are things in immediate pop culture which uh, just completely echo that. And, it's, and again, it's not choosing sides in a case, but I just. When watching the whole Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, the thing that struck me was the desire to put down this person that was felt like was preventing someone from having a fun time, and that all you needed to do was show some bad things about her, and all right, just automatically, yeah, uh, we we have you know she's she's wrong, she's convicted. So it's so baked into culture that. Um, it's it's hard to even explain or show people because it's sort of like the old saying they say how do you teach a fish about water you know we're we're swimming in it so we often don't see it so this i think you're right you know the film did a really good job at conveying that over a law over the arc of a of a feature film yeah so, and making us really all very uncomfortable 
Yeah, it's particularly the Ryan. I watched the Ryan character. I was interested to hear what you guys were saying about that character because he, I think he really does, like you say, Vicky, represent this kind of patriarchal foundation, the backdrop that we all live in. He's, you know, for all intents and purposes, he represents the everyman. Mm-hmm. And yet yeah. he's there, the old saying, all it takes for evil to flourish is for good men to do nothing. Uh-huh. There he is. There right he is. There in the yeah. Doing and nothing. It's pretty clear as it's pretty clear from the tape that he's uncomfortable and shocked by what's happening, but he doesn't do anything because of the peer pressure. Mm-hmm. And then, like you say, when she confronts him with it, first he says he loves her, and then he says, you calls her a failure, I think. Yes, right. He right. Says, yeah, yeah he's, he lashes out at her. Yeah. Because he cannot, you know, he cannot apologize. He cannot, he does not apologize. He does not admit he was wrong. He just makes excuses. And when he hears in his own head how lame those excuses are and inappropriate, he lashes out at her instead. Yeah. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I have experienced that in a microcosm in my in my dealings with just, you know, strangers that are male. I cannot tell you how many times. If someone, you know, if someone puts something forward to me and I don't accept it, immediately, immediately, I'm a fucking bitch. Yeah. It happens all the time in women's lives. And it's why women go around being afraid to, yes, you know, to confront Yeah. And why we put up with, you know, all of these little microaggressions, all of these little demands on our time, all of these little things that wear us down over the course of our lives. Because, you know, and and it's easy to say, well, why didn't you just stand up to him? Because I was afraid he would kill me. That's why. Because it's easier to stand there in line, listening to some dude yammer on about something I could fucking care less about than it is to say something. Hey, I'm not really interested. I'm I'm trying to, you know, have a moment here. Could you just talk to someone else? It's, it's much easier to just put up with it than it is to risk that he will, he will snap. Yeah. And that he will hurt me. And and then to get to the statistical reality, it's when in domestic abuse cases, statistically, when it gets to the point that she's finally leaving, yes, that's when the that's when they get killed. Yeah, that's when it's most likely that she'll be murdered is yeah. when she's when she's actually trying to leave. Yeah, when she's finally empowered enough to say no is mm-hmm. when she's most likely to actually be harmed or murdered. So, you know, this is not just a feeling <laughs> that women yeah. are having. It's not some weird paranoia. We're, we're not crazy. We're not <laughs> making it up. It's actually statistically the facts. Yes. And it's one of the things they did throughout the the feature film is to show that everybody kept reflecting back to her that she was crazy. Yes. Yeah. And she even at one point, I forget when, uh, Somebody says you're crazy, and she says, "No, I don't think so." Maybe it was in the when she's actually at the end in the in the party. Yeah. You're crazy, she says. No, I don't think so. I don't think I am. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm letting a lot of my anger loose in this podcast episode. And I hope our listeners aren't shocked. Listen to me apologizing for having feelings. Yes, exactly. Oh my yep. God. Yep. <laughs> exactly. But, um, <laughs> but I am angry. I am angry about the things that happen in our, in our freaking patriarchy every damn day. Yeah. I'm angry. And this, um, this movie, and I hope, you know, the movies that we talk about, we, we have, uh, the three of us have talked about uh, launching a, you know, re- sla- revenge slash vigilante type of um, women movies series. So we may be talking about others in the future. I particularly want to talk about Hard Candy, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that one. Yeah, but, um, but it is, I think, you know, as with. We talked a little bit, of, uh, Sean and I talked a little bit about this when we talked about the power, the novel, um, that there is a little bit of glee, of of just dark I, uh, glee that I am not proud of in seeing the tables turned. And it's because of this, this anger that has no place to go because so often I see justice not being served yes, again and again and again. Of course the the rape revenge movies uh bring us a momentary satisfaction mm-hmm. as women watching the tables be turned. But it's it's uh it's shallow, you yes. know it, it's can't go anywhere because we don't want to become the enemy. That's always the problem in any kind of revolutionary uh, resistance mm-hmm. is it's so easy to turn into what you're fighting against. And yes. we don't honestly want to do that. That's how I felt about the power. I, I thought it was interesting and all that, but, the, but to just turn the tables is what they already think we mean when we say matriarchy. And mm-hmm. it's not what I mean when I talk about matriarchy, you know, I'm talking about a peaceful, egalitarian, nonviolent culture in which women are in the moral leadership. Um, So for me, you know, I like the revenge movies because they give me that release, that moment of satisfaction. Mm, The catharsis. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. But, but this went much beyond that. I really think that's important. And it's funny, you know, when I first watched the movie, I was completely stunned. I couldn't believe it on so many levels. And I thought, I thought everybody would hate it. I thought they would give it a very bad rap for being so radically feminist. And instead, when I went to the reviews, of course, they were, they were just incredible. They were incredibly positive. The Mm. reviews, the reviewers, pretty much unanimously felt it was a genuinely brilliant movie, even though they kept it in the revenge genre. And, uh, and then it came up for the Academy Awards. And actually, it wasn't just she got best screenplay. And I think that's fantastic, because mm-hmm. it was so smart, so clever, um, and so well structured. Mm-hmm. But it was also up for four other nominations. Uh, I know one of them was Best Movie. Let's see if I, I think I might have pulled that up. Uh, yeah, it was Best Actress. She, Carrie Mulligan was up for Best Actress. Emerald Fennell won the Best Original Screenplay. 
Um, they were also up for Best Picture. They were up for Best Director. That was Emerald for Fennell. Right, right. And uh, and Best Film Editing by Frederic Thoraval. So uh, five very important uh, yeah. nominations. Major nominations, yeah. 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 So uh, I was wrong, and I think that's very hopeful. I yes. feel like that was a very hopeful thing, that I had this reaction of, wow, that was like, spiritually transcendent it was so important <laughs> and then you know a lot of critics felt the same way and were moved in somewhat of the same way so i think that that says something about the long discourse we've had about this issue and maybe some progress that has been made since the me too movement i don't know something, uh, something. I'm, ho- I'm hopeful for her uh emerald Fennell as a as a as an artist, because uh, not only is she a gifted writer and director, I didn't realize she was a, a gifted working actress. Yes. She's in the crowd, yeah. you know. She's uh, so I'm hoping that her, you know, auteur work where she's in it and directing it, and because often that's the way Hollywood works at times. They they wait for the actor or actress, usually actor, to direct himself and so anyway i think she's got a promising she is a promising young woman yeah. so, uh. well and i think it's also worth noting uh just as an aside that um you know these amazing movies uh that are telling women's stories um there i think they're arising because uh actresses who are incredibly uh, popular and who actually have managed to attain a modicum of power in patriarchal, toxic Hollywood, they had to reach a certain level of pull in order for these projects to even happen. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, any closing words for the listener, guys, uh, about this film and what uh, well, you want to say? One other interesting thing about it uh, that I saw in an interview is um, they filmed it in 23 days during COVID. Holy cow. Isn't that amazing? I didn't realize that. That's incredible. I know. And she was, you know, uh, Emerald Fennell was in her last weeks of pregnancy. She said in an interview, she just crossed her fingers. She crossed her legs the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) And just hoped for the best. And she had the baby about a week later. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Very female uh, centered. You know, do not mess with pregnant women. <laughs> they have no time for you. They're, they're making a human. They have no time for your nonsense. Oh. <laughs> or at oh, least that's right. how I imagine it anyway. <laughs> uh, well, that's, a, that's a, certainly a good note to end on. So... Uh, I want to thank, of course, uh, well, thank Vicki Noble for gracing us with her presence. Yay. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and thank you to Don Sam Alden. And oh, thank you. And thank <laughs> you, Sean Marlon Newcomb. Yep. Well, I'll give myself some <laughs> It's only fair. This has been the 34 Cersei Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. We've been talking about promising young woman. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again soon. Take care, everyone, and blessed be. Blessed be.